So for, I'm just going to quickly pray that, Lord, you would just really, really um, speak to each individual here and that no one will leave here unchanged by the word. Amen. So I'm wondering how many of you have ever lost anything that was important to you. I have. Uh, this woman has lost her coin, and it obviously means a lot to her. And I, many moons ago, lost the wedding ring. And obviously, I've already, spoiler, it's on my hand, so I did find it. <laughs> but um, so what happened was I'd been gardening. I'd put the ring down in a safe place somewhere. And um, a safe place in my house, actually there aren't any safe places in my house. It's a, those of you who've been to my house, my husband leaves a mess everywhere, I leave a mess everywhere, we're not good at filing, um, yeah. So it was quite difficult. So I spent quite a lot of time looking at everywhere I could think of in the house, no luck. So then I decided, what if I left it by the sink quite lightly because I might have used soap to help get it off and so what if it went down the drain so with my untechnical expertise I fiddled about till I got into the YouTube no so then I thought what if it's in the drain just outside the sink so I went out there and there's a tiny little drain cover and I thought well I'll just poke a stick through but of course after a while I realized even if it is in there, how am I going to actually know that I've touched it with the stick? So I took off the drain cover, and then I thought, I'm not putting my hands in there. So I got my marigold, and I put it on, uh, poking around, and then I thought, oh, my hand's not very sensitive with a glove on. I'm going to have to do the disgusting thing and take the glove off and mess around in this mess that's full of yuck. Uh, still no luck. And then I thought, wow... During the day, the clean had been, um, there was loads of water going through the sink, so what if I had gone round the alleyway into the side, and then there's a big drain cover. With much effort, I got the drain cover off, and I went, this is a Wellington boot job, put my Wellington boots on, got in there with my bare hand. It was quite deep. But after about five minutes, I did actually find the ring. Now, during the day, I had, of course, needed a lot of sympathy. And this is pre-social media. So I had picked up the phone and phoned my mother to tell her I was a poor thing. It was also pre-Christian, so I didn't even have anyone to pray. And then I also uh, picked up my phone to my sister and then a couple of best friends. So when I found my ring, guess what I did? I picked up the phone four times and phoned them to rejoice. So... I totally understand where this woman is coming from. And the reason there's a close connection between my losing my wedding ring and her just losing what just sounds like a coin, well, her coin was pretty special because in Palestine in those days, um, the more well-to-do would give 10 silver coins to their wife as part of the wedding. And those coins were worth... Uh, each coin was probably worth about a day's wages. So again, not dissimilar to my ring. And of course, in a sense, my ring wasn't massively valuable. But in another sense, in an emotional, sentimental, it means a lot to me way, it was. And it was the same for her. It was very, very important that she should find this ring.
the Hakoin. So if we go to this extremely short story, um, it's placed between the story of the lost sheep and the prodigal son. And there are lots of similarities between the stories. In both stories, the structure is the same. And those of you who heard Nicola last week, it's about lost, found, rejoice as the climax, and then the reverse. He talks about, I found it when it was lost. And then I love the climax of rejoicing here in the presence of the angels of God over the sinner who repents. Rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. So heaven rejoices when someone is found by God. So what are the differences in the story and why are they important? Well, one of the very obvious differences between the shepherd's story and this one is that the central character in this one is a woman. And in Luke, uh, uh, and the first story, yeah, so, where am I? Oh, yeah. And that's very significant. Now, in, in Luke in particular, but in lots of the um, books, it's very common for Jesus to tell two stories very close to each other that are very similar, one with a central character, male, and one female. Um, there's examples of this, for, for instance, Luke 13, there's the kingdom of God is a mustard scene that a man planted. It's like that. So it's likened to something a man planted. Straight after that, we have it that the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman hid in the dough. And in fact, between Luke 11 and 15 alone, there are at least, and probably more, 10 instances where men and women are either described as being there or there are paired similar stories with one central character man and one central character woman. So what was Jesus doing when he did that? He was raising the profile of women. He was re-establishing or establishing and for the first time really um, how valuable women are and in that society, that was radical. So, for example, we know he had women as followers. When I was a child, I just, I think I was just kind of told the story that, you know, what well, all his followers were male. But actually, it's not true. Um, when Jesus turns up, um, his mother and brothers turn up, he points to all the people following and says, oh, no, 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 these are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Now, particularly in the Middle East, if you had a room full of men and you'd said, this is my mother and my brothers and my sisters, that would have been outrageous. So we know that there really were women there. So he's turning the culture of the time upside down. So if you are someone who feels still in your role, in your job, or at some point in your upbringing, that because you're female, you're less significant somehow to some people. Jesus does not think that. Um, and, and, and we know, in fact, that there were women traveling with Jesus proclaiming the good news, who actually funded his work. So they weren't just allowed along. They were powerful women. And um, there's that lovely picture. I mean, uh, James already read out that, you know, the first people that Jesus appeared to were female. 
um, which actually authenticates the Bible a lot more because it would be unlikely in those days that you would have said that as a woman's um, witness did not count in law. So we've got Mary, the very precious story of Mary and Martha, where Martha is allowed to sit at Jesus' feet as a disciple. And that was literally scandalous because women were not allowed to be pupils. They weren't allowed to be learners. And Jesus is saying, you have the better part. It's good for women to learn and be discipled as well. So <clears throat> the second reason that it's really interesting and important that he chose a woman for this story is that in both of these stories, the shepherd and the woman are illustrations of God's character, of what God wants to do. And in those days, a shepherd being always a man, this one being a woman. And so it's talking about the nature of God and showing that God is both maternal and paternal in character. Now, I don't know how many of you um, were here last week, but if you, um, Nicola was, uh, gave a wonderful sermon on the Good Shepherd, and it was all about the good, good father. And she was really, and we all know that quite a lot of people have a less than ideal situation in their emotional relationship with their fathers. And so for some people, it's quite a block to seeing God as a good God. But it may be that lots of you can relate to God as a good father. But equally, for many people, perhaps they had a good relationship with their mother. But there may be the odd person here for whom that's not a good image. So at the end of this, you can say God has both. <laughs> and uh, whichever one works best for you to understand how good God is, is the one that maybe will be more helpful for you in the long run. And the thing is, right back in Genesis, God said, I will make man and woman in my image. Now, since that's so, then God necessarily encompasses both in his nature because I will make man and woman in my image. So he has to encompass all of them for them to come inside that. And um, there's some lovely bits in the Old Testament. Isaiah 42 has two very beautiful, um, well, they're not beautiful actually, but they're verses one after the other, um, which really show I have male characteristics, I have female characteristics. And the first one is, the Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior he will stir up his seal. With a shout he will raise the battle cry. And maybe the odd woman would be like that, but on the whole we would think that's a man. And then it moves immediately to, for a long time I've kept silent, I've been quiet and held myself back, but now, like a woman in childbirth. I cry out, I gasp, I pant. It's a really surprising picture of God making efforts in childbirth because actually, of course, he's bringing to birth his nation, his people, and he's in pain doing it. 
There's a lovely comforting one. Isaiah 66 says, as one, as a mother, as one whom his mother comforts, so will I comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem as one whom a mother comforts. And later we hear Jesus himself using the image of a mother hen. And this is what he says. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you would not. And you can just feel the tender, tender mother heart of God saying, I want you, I want to protect you. I want to protect you as a mother protects her child tenderly, but very, very fiercely if the enemy comes along. Now, there are, there are other differences in the stories that highlight certain things. So, in the lost sheep story, the sheep was almost certainly in some way scarred because we know that the shepherd had to carry him, carry the sheep, don't know why I assume it's a man, and um, that had to carry the sheep and it was probably had damaged wool as well. The prodigal son is bound to have been messed up by his debauched lifestyle and he was very distressed. The coin would be very dirty potentially, but the the value of a coin does not change whether it's clean or dirty. So it's very important that the value remained the same. And that means a lovely thing for us. So if we have wandered from God and we're a bit dirty for whatever reason, God does not value us less. He values us exactly the same as someone who's virtually, well, nobody's squeaky clean, but you get the idea. then this woman is full of hope. She's really hopeful that she's going to have success in this story. So for example, the prodigal son, that father waiting and watching day after day, he didn't know for sure that his prodigal son would ever return. And the shepherd, much as he searched, he might have got to the sheep and it might already have been dead. We don't know until the shepherd goes out. But here, the woman is searching diligently and she knows she's going to find it. Now, why does she know? Because she knows she lost it in that house. Now, we're talking about all this taking place in Capernaum. And in Capernaum, the houses were, it's quite interesting to think of the, the, well, how the houses are made. So they're made of basalt, which is a very black material. So black walls, black ceiling, black floor. They, had, they were about the size of a, slight, a fairly large garage, and they had seven foot up, they had little three-inch slits for windows. So can you imagine how dark it is in there and how difficult it would be to see? So no wonder in that story she gets a lamp, and you can see the imagery of Jesus 
bringing the light into the darkness to search diligently to find this precious, valuable coin. I find that really encouraging with people that I think of who've not yet encountered God or who've strayed away from God, that he is going to search, he is invested in finding them. He is truly invested in finding them. Just as the woman was invested in finding her coin, just as I was invested in finding my ring because of the value, because of the precious value. And look at the lengths that I went to. I got my hands dirty, my life dirty, but Jesus, look at the lengths he goes to. Look at what he invested. So Jesus wasn't just going to get his hands dirty. He wasn't just going to crawl around on the floor looking. What Jesus was going to do, and he knew this when he was telling this story. He knew by then what his end was going to be before the beginning. And he knew what it was like because regularly they would walk past all the crosses and he knew what it was like to die on a cross. He knew he was going to have his back beaten to a pulp and then have to carry wood with splinters in it on that back. And then he was going to be split out open with six-inch nails put into his arms and his feet. And then he was going to be left hanging until he died which was a long, miserable, humiliating, painful death, the worst the Romans could think of for people they considered to be the absolute scum of the earth. But it says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And he endured the cross because he was going to seat in honour at the right hand of the throne of God, but it was for the hope of us ultimately sitting with him because he paid the price for you. He paid the price for me. His loving, searching nature that never gives up. It's that tender mother heart. You know, I'm a mother and I'm I love it when my guys have done something really lovely and I, I see that they've done something that I could be really proud of. It's wonderful. But actually, the thing about being a mother is, even if, and I've kind of pictured this in my head a few times, but even if either of my sons was to end up doing something terrible, even if they messed up so badly that everyone else didn't want to have anything to do with them, I would be chasing after them. I would do literally anything to help them because that's what a mother does. That's what God wants to do. And if, if my sons did nothing else that was worthwhile for the rest of their lives, I would still say to them, all I want is you. And God the Father, 
And God with a mother heart doesn't need you to prove to him that you're worthy of his love because he is so tender and so loving to you. And he says, all I want is you. And I don't know if you feel like you're the dirty coin that better not be found. But he doesn't care about the dirt. He wants, he knows that he can clean that right off you, no matter how filthy you think it is. I don't know if you have friends who you really want God to chase after, but God's more invested than we are in chasing after them. And he is never going to give up. Just never. Oh, thank you, God, that you are so good that you have a mother's love and a father's love for us. I just ask now that you would speak to everyone here and just show them, each individual here, just how tenderly you love them and how you will chase them down and chase them down until they just melt into your arms. <laughs>